If you have your Bibles, open them to Mark 2. We're going to be in Mark 2. This is the story about Jesus healing the paralytic, which is a really great story for two reasons. It presents the gospel well. And the other one is it shows exactly um, what Jesus means for your life, not only as he saved you with the gospel, but what he can do for you today. So if you're there, uh, let's start reading in verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they laid down on a bed the paralytic for which he lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit, they thus questioning within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive your sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So that they were all amazed and glorifying God, saying, you never saw anything like this. Dear Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the example of Jesus Christ. And thank you for the plan in heaven to send your son, an eternal being, to earth to start to reverse and cure the effects of sin in our lives. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So many years ago, before I moved to Maryland, um, I was working in Louisville, Kentucky, and I had a really physically demanding job at a scale company. And so what the scale company does is we not only bought, but we also calibrated industrial-sized scales. So the, the things that trucks uh, pull up on and um, tens of thousands of pounds to little bitty small scales, we'd have to take little weights and go and measure them and make sure they were reading right because it's a federal regulation with trade that everything has to be calibrated right. Um, so this job was a very harsh work environment. Uh, not only sometimes we're removing uh, like 500 pounds, different uh, parts of a scale to 10,000 pounds and 1,000-pound blocks, and uh, just the, the the disgusting part about it, those truck scales, they weighed whatever uh, was going into that plant, and sometimes it was livestock. You would have to get up under the truck scale and stand in all the years of mud and just run off, and anything else that your mind can imagine would pour into that bottom into, you know, weighting knee-deep, um, trying to fix a load cell, and above you was 10,000 pounds, and somebody yelling up from the top, are you okay, Will? Not really. And so uh, I was just vacationing at this job because I had graduated seminary, I knew I was called to the ministry, and I needed a paycheck, but the men that I worked with, this, is what, this was their life. So if you can imagine some very hard um, men, uh, not a lot of women in this environment, and so all the conversations were, were very negative. And um, a lot of the comments um, were to put down other people. And so if you can just imagine this environment, um, you can, and not a lot of Christians working there. Now, the unique thing is that they knew that I was a Christian, and I can remember clearly I was in the truck with the supervisor, and this was like alpha male guy. This is the guy that led everybody. 
And he knew that I was a Christian. And he also knew that if he talked to me, that's what I was going to talk about. And so he always tried to avoid the conversation and was saying something very rough and something very intense to scare me off. And this day, he asked about it, though. He said, so tell me about Jesus. It's like, <laughs> all right. And so we, we started talking about the gospel. And what I found out really quick is that this man was no different than some of the people that I had grown up with and the fact that they knew a lot about the church that he knew a lot about the historical figure of Jesus Christ, but he didn't know primarily what the gospel does inside of your life. He didn't know the power that grace held. And so a lot of his questions back to me were about what he deserves, what I deserve, what the world deserves. So much, in fact, when we got to the point where we're talking about death and maybe going to heaven or hell, he was very clear that if somebody deserves hell, then they should go there. Coincidentally, if somebody's worked hard and they deserve heaven, then they get to go there as well. And so I asked him about his own situation. I was like, well, where do you think you stand on that day of judgment? Well, I think I've done enough right. I think I'll make it. What if I was to tell you, though, that the reason that Jesus Christ came to earth was to make it where you didn't have to guess at that answer, that if you just believed who he was, that he was who he said that he was, and that he did what he said that he did, that your sins would be forgiven, it doesn't matter what you've done in the past, present, or future, you are now with him forever in heaven. And he wrestled with that for a second, and he looked back at me and he said, no, I don't like that. And the reason that he didn't like it is because this man, anytime that he put the hours on the clock, he got the paycheck that he deserved. And so his whole life was bent to, like, if I worked, I get it. And he was running away from the fact that somebody just would hand him a get-out-of-jail-free card. But that is grace. That is the gospel. So keeping that story in mind of where he was pushing back, let's look at the scripture and what we're talking about today. So it's really clear why Jesus is here. In, in, in chapter 1, he talks about in verse 15 that he's come in the fullness of time. And what that means is that it's time now to tell the world about the biggest problem that they have and the biggest solution that God can offer. Right when John the Baptist was being arrested and ultimately taken to his death, Jesus stands up, the time has been fulfilled. It is now time to go. This is the beginning of the ministry. In verse 38, and he's going in and out of the land and he's um, casting out demons and he's healing people and he's creating this buzz and these people are running and getting beside him and asking him to do all sorts of things and pulling on him saying, fix these problems. He steps back and he says, no, basically for that is the reason I have not come for that. I have come that I would preach the gospel, that I would preach the forgiveness of sins because he understood something that all of these little problems, and when I say little problems, I know that hurts because that's us. Like we could be in pain. We would want to be healed. That's not a little problem to us. But he was coming in not to fix it um, uh, on a case-by-case basis. He was coming in to with, with a huge uh, a mop. And so I get this image of like, you know, I've never been in the army. But people, they, I see it in, in movies, they'll make them scrub the floor tile with the toothbrush. Like, this is how I know I wouldn't make it in the army, because I would, I would, I'd be, there's a mop. 
over there. Can I just use the mop? No, it's supposed to teach you something about discipline. And you're like, I, I would just be mad the whole time. So like in each individual case where Jesus is casting out these demons, they're like, do more, do more, do more. Reform the world. He's already thinking to the future and thinking of that mop and going, there's something I'm going to do that's going to fix it all. I just have to get there. For the greater thing that I can do is not make sure that everybody's lives are homely here, but to make sure that your, your eternal home has been set up by going to the cross. And so he knew if he got caught up in that, that would detract from his mission of, of going to the gospel. So we see this story, though. Much as like probably all of them before this story, but this one really lays out kind of what would happen and what took place. So Jesus returned to his home in Capernaum, and he was in this house. And what he was doing, he was probably teaching about the forgiveness of their sin. He was probably teaching about the gospel things and the law of God. And we know this because there were scribes in the room. And scribes were Old Testament dudes that just knew everything about the Bible. They knew God's law to the T. They had memorized probably all of the texts. And so they're in the room, other people in the room, probably uh, just whoever the scribes invited. So it's, it's packed in this little room, and it's probably, you know, way smaller than this stage all around. And it's even full so much that people can't get in the door. you got people looking over each other, and the windows are blocked, and there's probably a line. But in uh, 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 comes up on this situation some friends carrying their friend who can no longer walk. Because they've heard that this man can heal me. That he can heal our friend. And so they're, they're bringing him up to this house. And they see the situation before it. And they decide to do something kind of radical. Something that I would call a little redneck. And so, do you know how you know that you're making a redneck decision? You know you're making a redneck decision is if you... If you, if you ask about a solution to a problem, and then the first thing that anybody offers, it doesn't matter where it came from, if that's the thing that you do, if that's the thing that you go with, without thinking about it or without going, I don't know if that's a good idea, that's a redneck decision. All right? So you can just, I, I picture a whole bunch of my friends. Like, and, and if this was us, this is what we do. We'd be carrying our friend, the paralytic, and then we'd be like, oh, man. The door's blocked. The window's blocked. We ain't ever going to get in there and see Jesus. You see the, the West Texas accent? All right. And so, and then in the back, one of my friends goes, well, uh, let's just go through the roof. <laughs> and you're sitting there holding it. I'm taking a look back at my friend going, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's actually a good idea. But it's not. It's just a redneck idea. And so... They, they very lovingly and full of faith and, and just the passion of these friends just to do whatever it takes to get near Jesus. You see their faith in action. You see their work being driven by what they believe is real. So they get on top of this roof and it's a flat roof back in the day and they start just picking it up. And you can imagine inside of this room as pitch and straw and, and beam and, and beams of wood and mud are falling down all around you. The people inside are probably going, what is this? But all questions about what that was was relieved the second they saw the bed being lowered into the room because they knew that one or two things was going to happen. They knew that man couldn't walk. And that all the buzz that they'd been hearing about this Jesus guy 
was actually going to be put to the test. And so two things were going to happen. They were either going to see something happen and be able to walk away with a story about, oh, I know that guy. And when people put him to the test, he didn't do it. And so I have a firsthand, I have a firsthand account of people's asking to be healed and that person wasn't healed. The second one is, so they actually got to see the God on earth healing somebody that even doctors now, 2,000 years later, cannot heal. So you can imagine this excitement as the bed was being lowered into the room that people in anticipation were going to watch Jesus, this miracle worker, work or fail. And that created this buzz. And so everything about the way that this guy came was wrong. Much like us. Everything about the way they approached the house was wrong. They didn't announce. They didn't plan. There were people in the way. They pushed past them. They were rude. They destroyed somebody else's property just to get to Jesus. But everything about that was something that was wrong. This is not somebody that Jesus would be, that would want on his team. He couldn't do anything. Others had to take care of him. He came broken. He came wounded. He came with nothing absolutely to offer. He came yelling out, I need, I need, I need, I need. And Jesus, when he sees this, responds in a way that is just beautiful. The first words that come out of his mouth is, Son. This man was a stranger, but he walked away family. This man didn't even have to talk. Because the second thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth is, your sins are forgiven. Let that rest in your heart about how aggressive God is in sending His Son and how, how much Jesus loves you that not knowing you and you having nothing and absolutely nothing to offer Him that He would immediately wrap His arms around you and say, family, and guess what? Family now, here and forever, your sins are forgiven. We are going to be together forever because that is the preaching of the forgiveness of your sins. That is the gospel. That is grace. That is what Jesus came to do. Not lead this campaign to cast out all the demons on the world, but to save the whole world. You can imagine for a second, this room was shocked and absolutely taken back. And even the man on the bed probably didn't expect this blessing. And it's just silence is gripping everybody as they're wondering what in the world just happened and what's going to happen next because the man is still laying broken. He's not up at this point. And so then the Scripture says... Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So in their silence, the scribes in their hearts were kicking up and they were asking the questions that probably they were trained to ask as, as guardians of the law, as zealots of God. No, 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 no. This is obviously a man. This isn't God. The heavens didn't open up. There wasn't this bright light. And he's saying that this man's sins were forgiven, a man that he had never met before? Blasphemy. 
He can't do that. Because Jesus, at this point, is displaying um, a God quality. Basically, Jesus is having to read this man's mind in order to even say that his sins were forgiven. Because we know, we know that Jesus can do, that, he can do this because of his response to the, the scribes' hearts here in a second. But also, if you're wondering, why didn't the guy ask for forgiveness? And then Jesus gave it to him. And it's because he was displaying a quality that only God can have. He was reading his mind. He came into that room knowing that Jesus was really God, that he had the authority to help him, not only reverse the physical effects of sin, but to reverse the spiritual effects of sin. And so, scribes are sitting in the back wall going, oh man, just in their mind. And then no nonverbals or anything, they're just sitting there just straight-faced, but in their mind they're thinking, that's crazy. This man is crazy. And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they were questioning within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? He's reading their minds. If I'm one of the scribes at this point, I'm like, all right, I'm out. This is, this is getting weird. All right, he just read in my mind. And they knew that only God could forgive sins. And they also knew that throughout the Old Testament, things that they had memorized, that only God could tell what was on a man's heart. In Psalm 139, 2, you discern my thoughts from afar. 1 Samuel 16, 7, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. 1 Kings 8, 39, for you, you only know the hearts. 1 Chronicles 28, 9, the Lord um, searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. So again, Jesus is also legitimizing what he said was real, that this man's sins were actually forgiving by looking at the scribes and saying, hey, I know what you're thinking because I'm God and I can read your mind. So that's a God. That's the second God quality that he, he explains to him. And so then he throws a gambit back at him. This is awesome. He knows that they're wrestling with this and they don't even have to answer because he knows what they're thinking. One of the things they're probably thinking is, okay, only God can forgive sins, but that's easy, right? I, I, anybody can say that. Anybody can say that. There's no proof that that's actually been done. How do you prove that somebody's sins are forgiven? And so they're sitting in the back and they're like, they're just saying that. That's just weird. And so that Jesus says, right after he says, why do you question these things in your heart? And then he says, which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise and take up your bed and walk. So we know that that's what they're wrestling with. He throws that back at them. Which is easier to say, that your sins are forgiven? Or rise and pick up your bed and walk? Well, obviously, it's the latter. Because you can prove that you actually did something if the man gets up and walks. He can't prove that his sins are forgiven. And so in the scribes' minds, they're like, well, of course, if this man got up and walked... We'd probably say that you are who you say you are. But you can't do that. Because no one, no one recovers from this injury. Even today, we don't recover from this kind of injury. With all of uh, the modern miracle, uh, all the modern medical science that 2,000 years, even since then, has given us with x-rays, CAT scans, surgeries, and all of that, the nerves in the spine are so complex that they don't regenerate. And I'm an expert on this because I've watched Marvel's movie, Doctor Strange. And this is how they explained it. So, even, even today, 
that, that doesn't repair. And so they're sitting there going like, well, of course, well, if you can make him walk, then yeah, we're going to pay attention to you. We'll, we'll, we'll give you that. And so Jesus responds only the way God can respond here in pushing back the effects of sin. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And without touching him, without getting any instruments, without any um, assistance to help diagnose or, or to move or, you know, just to like adjust maybe his legs, maybe pop something back into place, without even moving in an action, Jesus speaks and immediately the man rose and picked up his bed and went out before them all and they were all amazed. Because God is the only one that can do something like that. And his whole point is that you would know that I have the authority. That Jesus, in the flesh, sent from heaven to be on earth, that the man that they see before them is really God. Because he's done three things that only God can do. He read their mind. He healed a a disability that even today still can't be healed without touching a man. And he forgave his sins for his life to be effectively changed forever. So that's the gospel. That's how aggressive the Lord saves, wants to heal and reverse all of the effects of sin. Because you see, his mission is clear. He's going to the cross to accomplish this. Because you guys ought to understand something right away. That the reason the man was a paralytic to begin with, because there was, there's sin in the world. Adam and Eve, before the fall, this kind of injury, this kind of thing, was not a part of their existence. Cancer. Sickness. Allergy. Like, uh, uh, just the effects of sin on your body, the decay that it brings in, that's all caused because sin entered the world, and that is exactly why Jesus came, is to destroy and do away with all of that. So not only is he exercising that he has the mastery over your spiritualness, he has the mastery over the physical, because the physical is linked to the spiritual. The physical shows that sin is still real and rampant, even in our world now, because we have stuff like cancer. We have stuff like people dying. We, we have stuff like when we get sick, and, and men, when you get cold, and colds, and the world's going to end, right? The man cold. My wife reminds me all the time about the man cold. That when she has the same cold, she can still do the laundry and I just need to watch Netflix in bed. <laughs> the reason for all of that is because the sin, sin is still here. So Jesus is not only, he, his mission is to reverse all of that and to heal us spiritually and physically. And the point that my supervisor in the truck going to the, to the scale to be calibrated, the point that he was missing was this. This was the point he was missing. So he knew all about church. He knew the word Jesus Christ and he knew his historical figure. Where he missed it was that Jesus Christ was actually God and he had the authority to do what he was doing. And why? Because of his great compassion for us. Like what was motivating God to do all this? His love for us. He could have been a God high and lifted up and taken a step back and looked at the world and said, you know what, I'm going to rule over you and you will worship me. 
And he could have been right to do that. In a very legalistic, a very formal way. But he chose for his main motivation for us to be out of compassion and love. And he's not this ruling king. He is a ruling king that we follow him. But he's a ruling king that is also our friend. That is our dad. And he calls us. He calls us. And he calls the paralytic his son, his daughter. We are his family forever. And so I don't know what you're dealing with today because we can see the gospel so clearly here. But what does that mean for us that have already given our lives to Jesus sitting in this room? How is this going to help and propel you further today to know that Jesus and the gospel actually not only speaks to the part of your life where you're saved forever, but the part of your life where you wake up each day and go, how does the gospel help me now? What is it going to say to me now? What is he going to say to me in this church? What is he going to say to me later when we go to lunch? The message of the gospel is very clear for us and it is the answer because it unbreaks all of your chains for the the effects that sin has on you. Because some of you, I know this because I'm married, the last time that you spoke to your spouse was when the car door slammed in the parking lot and y'all were arguing. And now you're sitting here next to each other wondering, where do we go for this? What what is church going to do today to help me re-engage my spouse after this is over. This is what Jesus died for. This is what Jesus came in and broke that silence. And you now have the ability to grow back together in grace because he's the starting point. That's what Jesus died for is that this, the, the uncomfortableness between you and your spouse would not rule over your life. It would not destroy your afternoon. Some of you are struggling with depression. What answer for you as a Christian is there other than that God has broken the chains of all that would tear you down and that you don't have to be conquered by depression or anxiety? Some of you are having some internal conflicts with your friends, with your neighbors, and you're like, how is this ever, how would you ever move past this if you don't start with that Jesus died on the cross and that he does have the answer? And if you run to him, that that situation that looms large over your hearts isn't going to just break that to pieces because he set you free from the effects of sin in your life. And that is our plight. And so the moment we accept Jesus into the moment, we pass into heaven, but we do it with him as our conqueror and as the one who says, I am providing this answer for you if you would just run to me daily and experience that grace. If that's your starting point, then you're getting it. You're getting what the supervisor in the truck didn't get, is that Jesus has the power and the authority to give you that answer to walk until then, until you see him again face to face. This is the gospel. This is healing you uh, uh, spiritually and physically. Run to that. Run to it ignorant. Run to it not even knowing what the next step is or how it's going to work or how it's going to make you feel better or how you're going to start that conversation with your neighbor or your spouse. Just run to that and start there because it does not conquer you. And Jesus, that's what he died for. Now, I do want to address the other part of this, this, uh, this passage, that the guy was actually healed. 
He was physically healed. So what does that mean for us? We know that, that James 5.14 says to pray for healing. So this is something that, that God even wants us to do in our, our, mortal body, our mortal bodies. And I'm sensitive to the room because I have a back condition. I've had two surgeries so far, and I still have pain that shoots into my legs. It's a daily thing, and I pray for daily for it to go away, for Jesus to heal me of that. But here's my hope as a Christian. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what you're coming from. I don't know how more serious than a back condition is in your life. You might have people dying of cancer, dying for no reason at all. You're praying for healing and it's not exactly working. It's going the way. So how, how am I going to process even my own pain? Heal me and then it doesn't seem to heal the next day. Heal me and it doesn't seem to heal the next day. If you are in Christ Jesus, because he has authority over the physical realm, he has authority over the spiritual realm, if you pray for healing, you will be healed. Guys, it's only a matter of time. Jesus not only died on the cross to break the chains of all that would weigh you down from the effects of sin, but that one day that all of sin would be gone and the effects of sin would be gone. So whether I get healed today, tomorrow, I can rest assured that there will be a day that I pass from this world and go into the next where I will not have back pain anymore. And that is where Jesus' healing will be complete. So we pray for it and we want it. And if he gives it to us, oh, praise him and bring your friends into the conversation and say, look what the Lord has done. But on that day that we are there and he is face to face with us, we will all be rejoicing because all of this will be gone. All misunderstanding between our neighbors and our spouses and all the physical effects of sin will disappear and melt away from us forever. That is the promise that we have of Jesus healing this man in somebody's house with a hole in it to going to the cross and saying, this is what I came to do. I didn't toothbrush it out. I took a mop and I cleaned it all up so that one day, one day this would all disappear. And your answer to the biggest problem that you have in your life would be Jesus's grace. Now, I want to read something to you that um, a guy that preached a similar sermon uh, uh, preached 10 years ago at Covenant Life. His name is Mike Bullmore, Dr. Bullmore, if you guys know him. He ended his sermon with this, and I just want to read it word for word. This is supposing that the paralytic that was saved in this verse, that Jesus gave him uh, a hall pass, and was like, hey, go down to earth and talk to uh, Living Hope today. Tell him, tell him what's up. And so he's here with us today, and he says this. Hey, I want to tell you what a wonderful day it was when Jesus told me to get up and walk. You can imagine what a joy, what a joy it was to get up and walk. And actually, I lived about another 20 or 30 years, as best as I remember. And I had a fairly, um, like most of you, enjoyed my life. And I'm also thankful for the blessing as I was able to, to make my proper place in ordinary life like I never dreamed I would be. But... I've been allowed to come down and tell you I have been with Christ now for 2,000 years, your time. And so you see, I now realize the first thing that was said to me was the most important thing he said to me. If I, if I had to choose between the two blessings I received that day in light of what I now know, I would ask for Jesus to forgive my sins. It would be better to live as a paralytic the rest of my earthly life with my sins forgiven than to never have been forgiven and yet be able to walk. 
And you know what? You would make the same choice. And it's true. Both blessings were important. Both blessings were a, a, a true exercise of Jesus' authority on earth and what we press into daily and learn from him. The forgiveness of our sins and how to help us cope with the sins that are just crushing us. There is an answer for that. The greatest thing, both blessings were important, but the most important was is that your sins were forgiven. If you're in this room, and I can't imagine that we're all Christian in here, and you don't know about this Jesus guy, and you don't know about the church, my invitation to you today is to free yourself from all that weighs you down, the shame, the guilt of all the wrong things in your life, and run to Jesus Believe on him as God and ask for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will be accepted and welcomed as family and you will be forgiven and you will now have an answer for all the problems in your life. If you are a Christian in this room, leave today encouraged knowing that whatever situation um, is in front of you, that it will not conquer you. No matter how bad it is or the information is or what's going on in your life, that sin and the effects of sin have been destroyed on the cross and that you get to walk forward and live in hospitality, in joy, and peace. The gospel is as real for you today as it was the day you gave your life to Christ. And so... I just want to finish reading 1 Peter 2.24 as, as the hope that we have in Jesus with our spiritual selves and even with our bodily um, disabilities, the things that are just a part of our lives. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Listen, by his wounds you have been healed. And it's true. That's what he accomplishes for you. So pray for healing, spiritually and physically. And our God that loved us and sent his son, the eternal son, to stand in our place on the cross and take all the punishment that we deserved. And now that any time the Lord looks at us, he sees Jesus' perfect, wonderful life put on top of us. Walk in that newness today. Walk feeling confident that whatever problems that you have, you can speak to it. That sin, guilt, and shame, depression, and all that is not going to crush you. Because you have the answer. Thanks. Let's pray. Father, we really appreciate uh, even just Paul being here this morning and knowing that the gospel was preached, that we would not take that for granted, that it wouldn't just be another Sunday that we went to church and that's the check off our list, but that we would start to let the gospel um, build into our lives and strengthen us spiritually in ways that we are uncomfortable with. As you have given us grace, that we would have grace with each other. We would have grace towards our spouses. We'd have grace towards our neighbors. That we would have grace to the people in our church. And that we would offer grace in such a way to the people that are around this building that do not believe you. That we would start sharing the gospel because it is so 
precious and it is so life-changing. I thank you for sending Jesus on earth. And not only is he a God that was on a mission, but he also stopped every once in a while and he changed people's lives by healing them. And so this morning we just pray for healing. We pray for those that are suffering. We pray that you would just take that away and that you would give them a hope that if it's not today, it's not tomorrow, that it will come. Because you, you have put the nail on the coffin. You have finished it all and your work is wrapped up on the cross and you gave us a promise that we believe you're coming back to set everything straight, that you will wipe every tear from our eye, that pain and suffering and the decay of our bodies will no longer rule us. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.